1: Coming up on today's special bonus episode of The Virtual Couch, I'm running an episode that first ran over two years ago. It's my interview with Leonard, a former medical professional who spent over two years in jail where he shared a cell with a convicted middleman in the sex trafficking industry. And honestly, I know this is a heavy topic, but I feel like we cover it in a way that is easily digestible. And there is so much information that I believe you need to know to help protect your kids, your teens, your community, that and so much more coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. Episode 217, a special bonus episode of the Virtual Couch. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is trying to put pornography behind you once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based hold the shame, become the person you always wanted to be way, then head over to pathbackrecovery.com and there you will find a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to put pornography behind them once and for all. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com and keep those questions coming. Contact at tonyoverbay.com for a special upcoming bonus, regular, whatever kind of episode we want to call it. it is a question and answer episode and I have a lot of good questions so I cannot wait. Contact at TonyOverBay.com. And uh, I want to share a quick review that was left just a couple of days ago on the Apple podcast app. This is from uh, J.A. Forrester. And I just thank you so much that for leaving things like this. It really does mean a lot to me. Uh, they they were kind enough to give me five stars and then said so grateful. I'm so grateful for the wealth of information and experience Tony is willing to share on his podcast as a new counselor, I'm assessing a variety of theoretical approaches and appreciate how open and honest Tony is, and the richness of the information shared by he and his guests. His pace is excellent, allowing time to thoughtfully discuss ideas without being too wordy or chit-chatty. Thank you for providing this resource. Thank you, New Counselor. I remember being there, and uh, I remember wishing that I had a lot of podcasts I could have listened to in the mental health field at that time. Um, now I know there's plenty, so I'm just grateful that you are spending the time here. So if you have time to leave a review, I, I would be honored. Uh, if you did, truly, I just want to help people with this podcast and, and the ratings and reviews and subscriptions and all that stuff helps me help others. So thank you. And on that note, if you have a minute, you can go find me on Instagram at Virtual Couch and on Facebook at Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. And I've alluded to it. I'm excited about it. I'm proud of what we're working on. Um, but uh, friend, coach, Preston Pugmire and I are in the throes of completing a magnetic marriage course that is honest to goodness unlike any other marriage course on the market. And I am not just saying that. It is This is why it has taken me so long to put this thing together because it's I don't want it to be cheesy. I don't want it to be cliched. I want it to be helpful. And, and this one is. Um, it's uh, Anyway, you'll hear a lot about it soon. But head over to TonyOverbay.com and sign up for my newsletter if you want to be one of the first to know about it. So let's get to today's bonus episode. This episode originally aired as episode 56 over two years ago. And I know that the topic of human trafficking, sex trafficking, protecting our children is being talked about a lot right now. And I am grateful for the dialogue. And this is what I find is interesting. When I first aired this episode, um, honestly, I mean, it wasn't being talked about as much. There are plenty of people that were uh, very, very much involved in, um, in getting the word out, the message, but it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you, you weren't seeing all the posts on social media, you weren't hearing about it as much in the news, and I just have to say there was kind of an odd feeling when I released this episode uh, back two years ago. There were people talking about it, but again, mass support wasn't there, and I, obviously I don't believe it wasn't because people thought that it was, you know, I didn't think people thought it was okay to traffic human beings, but I got comments at the time after this episode initially aired that the topic was uncomfortable. I remember one person telling me that they didn't personally know of anyone who had been trafficked. So they took a pass on the episode. And I really felt like this episode had a lot of gold in it. I mean, this was over two years ago. And I, you know, I, you, obviously you approve as hopefully as an interviewer. And, uh, but I, I felt like this was one that I was almost kind of nervous to hit the hard topics. I feel like I would not be that much uh, anymore. But so I feel like we got to the the hard topics, the difficult topics. And, uh, and so this information, this, this episode, has a ton of information on how trafficking happens, how kids and teens are groomed on social media, and I mean we're talking exactly how it's done, which is something that we all need to know to be aware of. Um, I always say no one wants to be shut on, but I'm darn near ready to say you should you should listen to this and you should pass it along, you know pass it to two people or, or something like that. But in this episode, a man named Leonard, who gives a little bit of his story for context, talks about spending two years in jail where he shared a cell at one point with a middleman in the child trafficking industry. And what he shares is imperative to know. So, I mean, if we truly want to protect our kids and to know what to look out for, especially on social media. So I hope you'll take the time to listen. You might not agree with some of what Leonard shares about the justice system. And I can't lie, um, by the end of the interview, there was a little bit where I, I couldn't help myself but ask about, what were you reading? What were you eating? What were, you, were you doing push-ups? Were you, what was that like? Because I think a lot of people are fascinated by people that are in jail. I know I am. Um, but I, I think you can find a lot of very valuable information here. Okay. So as with most bonus episodes, I'm going to cut over now into me talking about a, the topic. And there was a newspaper article that had come out at the time that blew my mind about how trafficking can be right in front of us and we would never know it. And, uh, so really quick, their cost of producing a podcast, obviously, and I do want everybody to get help they need. So, um, I'll be brief. If you're interested in the world of online counseling, please type betterhelp.com slash virtual couch into a browser. Just take a look at it. Over a million people have, and there are licensed therapists Waiting to talk to you about anxiety and depression and OCD and grief and loss and you name it. It's cheaper than traditional therapy. You don't have to worry about being left in a waiting room for a half an hour like one of my clients yesterday was telling me about. That was the straw that broke the camel's back for them to eventually want to change therapists, which you can do on BetterHelp.com slash Virtual Couch as well. But so go to BetterHelp.com slash Virtual Couch to get 10% off your first month's counseling. You owe it to yourself to get help talk through things, things that you might be having a hard time processing, behaviors, addictions. You need to get that behind you. So try it today. All right, let's get to this episode. I wanted to start with a little bit of a heads up. This is uh, this podcast deals with some a lot of the things that we've talked about here. Obviously, we're talking about mental health, we're talking about uh, addiction, those kind of things. But today, this one is, there's no explicit language per se, but the topic is on the subject of human trafficking and uh, are also at times referred to as sex trafficking. And we talk a bit about the concept of sex trafficking. And although I want you to know right up front that we don't talk about the specifics per se of what goes on in the sex trafficking industry, More of what we address are how children and teens in particular are lured into relationships with people who are involved in this horrific practice. And this is extremely, I feel like it's an extremely eye-opening podcast that will bring you a lot of awareness, whether you work with youth, whether you have teens, children, um, this is one of those where I think it's kind of nice to just have some awareness around some of these terms that you're hearing around. If you're hearing a lot about human trafficking or sex trafficking, it really is probably a little bit closer to us than we think. So and after that's where I was at right up front when I would hear this term, sex trafficking, human trafficking. I honestly didn't give it enough of a pause and I just kind of assumed that it was happening everywhere else, you know, the old uh, NIMBY, not in my backyard. But more on that, I realized I wasn't aware of even what it really meant, if I'm being honest. So I had an opportunity to work with somebody who was involved in a group here locally in my area called Stand Up Placer. And I'll throw a link to them on the show notes, but you can actually find them at StandUpPlacer.org. And they have a mission statement that says, and I love this, Saving Lives by Empowering Survivors. And educating communities to stand up to domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. So, you know, I hope that this is going to serve this podcast maybe as part of this educating a community to know a little bit more about how this industry works and what we can do to protect our kids and protect our teens from this. And uh, I had a couple of friends who became involved with this group, Stand Up Plaster, and who actually became certified crisis counselors through them. And then they brought back an incredible amount of knowledge to me. And shared stories of what was happening right here in the area that I'm that I'm broadcasting from, that my practice is. And it was with people I never would have expected, or populations of people that I never would have expected that are that have gotten involved in something so bad as human trafficking. And then I have to, there was kind of a pretty interesting chain of events that occurred. So first, I was at my parents' house, and as good grandparents would do, they had saved a local newspaper article for me, and I have that pulled up right now. It's in my local paper, which is the Sacramento Bee, so uh, SACB.com. I want to give them all the credit for this one. But here's the story. So this was back in the middle of February. The, um, it says, teen girls had no ID and one-way first-class tickets why that alarmed an airline employee. So let me read this. It says, quick thinking from an airline, American Airlines employee at Sacramento International Airport likely saved two teenage girls from lives in captivity. American Airlines customer service agent Denise Miracle, and you have to love the name, obviously, knew something was awry when the two girls from the Vacaville-Fairfold area, ages 17 and 15, came to her ticket counter on August 31st. The girls had no identification, were unaccompanied by adults, and had two first-class tickets booked by another person with a fraudulent credit card, according to an airline news release. Between the two of them, they had a bunch of small bags that seemed to me as if they were running away from home, Miracle said in the release. They kept looking at each other in a way that seemed fearful and anxious. I had a gut feeling that something just wasn't right. So when Miracle refused to let the girls fly, they walked over to a nearby Starbucks table while one of them made a phone call. Meanwhile, Miracle called the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department Airport Bureau and reached Deputy Todd Sanderson, who later reported the girls had been had called a man named Dre, who they had previously met on Instagram. Dre had offered to fly the girls to New York for the weekend and pay them $2,000 to model and be in a music videos. But one more piece of the puzzle seemed odd. Dre hadn't bothered to buy the girls a return flight from New York to Sacramento. And that was news to the teens who had jumped at Dre's offer without telling their parents. So, uh, already, a lot of info there, right? So the girls had met this guy through Instagram. He had offered them money, first-class tickets, and then had not bought them a return flight. But they had jumped at the offer without telling their parents. This is Miracle again, Arno Sanderson, saying, When I told them they didn't have a flight home, that's when it kind of sunk in that maybe I was actually telling the truth, Sanderson said. In my opinion, what was going to happen was that they were going to go back to New York and become victims of sex trafficking. They said they wouldn't have let that happen, and I said they probably wouldn't have had a choice. After the girl's initial conversation from the Starbucks table calls to Dre's phone stopped going through, he deleted his Instagram page within minutes. Dre likely used photos of another person, Sanderson said, and is unlikely to be prosecuted from outside the state. But thanks to Miracle's awareness, the girls headed home from the airport with their parents Thursday night. I'm very, very thankful Miss Miracle um, with American Airlines was able to use her intuition and concern and actually say something, Sanderson said. Without her, I wouldn't have been called and we wouldn't have intervened with these girls." So I really wanted to read that story because that really did hit home. I mean, I have teenage girls. So I'm aware of Instagram. You know, there's just so much there that I wasn't aware of. That was kind of what was involved or how that the sex trafficking industry worked. So that was kind of the first in this chain of events. Um, then I learned of the release of a contact of mine from prison. So when I reached out to him, the first thing he said to me, and I just said, you know, I just wanted to touch base, see how he was doing, And the first thing he said to me was that he wanted to help spread this word about how teenagers are being lured into the human trafficking ring. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, here's a guy that that I, you know, I'd only communicated with briefly while he was in prison. And then he gets out and the first thing he says is, you know, hey, I want to, I want to talk about this human trafficking ring. And in that time that he was in there, I have to say he wasn't, I think he wasn't aware that I had um, put together a podcast. So then he started listening to a couple of them and then he had said, hey, if there's any way that we can just spread the word that, that I would love to. So... So let me, again, be frank up front. My guest, Leonard, tells a tiny bit of his story. And please understand that my job, I am not trying Leonard's case on my podcast, but I want to share his message of what he learned of how the human trafficking world works. Um, Kind of a a public service announcement, if you will. And as a parent of teenagers himself, he said he desperately wanted to share this message. But Leonard, as you can imagine, and this was within a few weeks of him getting out of jail for something that he clearly maintains on the podcast as well that he is innocent of. He does express some frustration early on in the podcast of The Justice System. So I hope you can really try and have empathy for him. Um, remember, empathy, as I have said on other podcasts, is... It's jumping down in that pit with somebody. It's not just sympathy of, oh man, that stinks, that happened, but it's jumping down in that pit and really kind of taking a look at things from where that person's at. So if you can, you know, think in terms of empathy for Leonard that, that, you know, he is saying that this is something that he was in there for, that, that he maintains his innocence, you know, you can, you can maybe understand a little bit of the frustration that he shares. But then he quickly gets through that and then we kind of get to the, the meat of the topic, which is this concept of Leonard has a, a pretty incredible story of how he learned about how this human trafficking industry works. So, for many who have never experienced anything negative with the justice system, I'm sure there's a, there's a definitely an assumption that the person you know absolutely must be guilty, or they wouldn't have been arrested, or they wouldn't have stayed in jail as long, or they wouldn't have taken a plea bargain to get out, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, for those who have possibly been through the system or maybe had their own challenges or struggles there, they may have a different view. And so, and honestly, I hope they have a lot of those discussions down the road on the virtual couch. So, so here's my interview with Leonard. It, again, involves some of his insights on what he learned about how the human trafficking or sex trafficking world works, and more importantly, the things that we can do to protect the kids in our lives, whether it's our own children, grandchildren, future children, children that we work with, whether we have uh, jobs or church or school or that sort of thing but i just think this is a it's nice to have this awareness because ultimately we need to be able to continue to open up and have more dialogue with our kids with their teenagers with their children and part of that is really just going to have some awareness around this so i don't want this to hopefully not freak anybody out but just bring some awareness to it so with that said let's get to my interview Up early and come in here and record an early morning podcast. My guest is Leonard. Um, was this any any problem for you to, to meet me here at uh, three thirty in the morning? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> it's really not three thirty, but but it is pretty early. It's still dark outside. It is. Yeah, and so Leonard is here to talk about a very important topic. But before we even get to that, how early did you wake up in prison? What was the what was the schedule like?
2: The morning started at, well, 4 a.m. was when they started doing pills. Wow. And then 5 a.m. was breakfast. And then 8 a.m. they started the day room process. 4 a.m. though? I didn't realize Uh, it was that early. It's nice and early. Nice and early. And then is that, are you woken with a a very pleasant sounding alarm? Oh, yes, exactly. It's usually screaming to get up, banging on doors. There's a lot of clanking, a lot of, yeah, it's... it's, You get used to it after a
1: while, though. Do you? Okay. I mean, did you find that you were able to sleep fairly well, or was that always something that was a struggle?
2: I actually found that I, well, I could sleep well, but I wake up very easily. Oh, okay. And so the slightest sounds now will cause me to be extra vigilant and gotcha. I wake up, And where I didn't have that issue prior. You didn't. Okay. And and, and so obviously Leonard is
1: here, I and mean, we've already kind of alluded to the fact that you 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 have been in prison, but I mean that's where you learned some of the information that you are really anxious to share with with my listening audience and that is on the topic of sex trafficking.
2: That's right. Absolutely. It, yeah. It's a, it's a big problem and it's something I never recognized and I, I want to get the word out to as many people as possible so they can protect their children.
1: Yeah, and I don't think I realized as well when I would hear the word sex trafficking or the phrase I would just think this is something going on in a foreign country, but uh, then in talking with you and especially with the insight that you have, it's it's here, it's in our backyard and and the more we've been talking Uh, I think I read an article recently that talked about a flight attendant maybe who had stopped a a couple of girls from from jumping into a sex trafficking ring uh, and they were about to fly
2: back east without even their parents knowing a thing about it. Right. And that's the kind of thing that happens. They set these girls up or boys or whoever they're doing, they set them up. And they don't. Even, they're doing it of their own free will and choice, Okay. I think. And yeah. uh, so it's not just snatching them off the street like we used to think right. like, was the problem.
1: Yeah. So, and I think that's the insight that you had, or that you gained in in prison, is how this process works, and that there's a lot that we need to be more aware of as parents. That's right. That's okay. really right. And that's that's
2: what I want to try and, and emphasize.
1: Okay. Now, do you want to give a little bit about your background?
2: I mean, what you what you what you can share? Well. What I can share is that I I spent uh, two years locked up. I was wrongly accused of something. And over the time of uh, that I was uh, incarcerated and fighting my case, I, I thought things would improve. I thought truth would come out. Yeah. Unfortunately, our justice system isn't necessarily about truth. And so in the end, I ultimately uh, took a plea deal that got me out and kept me from doing a lot of years in prison.
1: Yeah. And I, and I remember even you were telling me that you went in, um, just to answer some questions. I mean, and really so confident and there wasn't anything that you, you had done wrong. So you felt like you were just going in, going to help out, answer some questions and be home by lunch. And I think you were telling me that was almost two years
2: to the day, right? It was, it was, in fact, they didn't even ask me any questions when I got there. They, they booked me, they already had their arrest warrant. And never came back and asked me a single question. Wow. And they told me that I would be there for six days because of a holiday before I was arraigned. I thought it was crazy I'd be in jail for six days, but yeah. uh, I was finally released on the 729th day. Wow. Okay. Um, it's probably a whole podcast in itself, right? It could be. There's yeah. interesting things that happened in those there. two years. I bet. But
1: okay, so so how did you come to, to, to learn the information that you have about sex trafficking? Why don't you talk a little bit about that?
2: Well... In the time that I was in jail, they, most of the time I was locked in my cell. For about 20 hours a day, I was I was locked up. Wow. And they would allow us to have day room where we'd get out for a few hours. And at that time, you could interact with the other inmates. And so people would try and do various things, activities, play cards or chess or checkers or fight over the television or whatever the case was. And one individual invited me to learn how to play rummy. I'd never really played any card games prior to going in. And he, as we'd sit and he was teaching me, he would start talking about sex trafficking. That he was somebody who did that. He was one of the, the recruiters, so to speak, and was able to recruit these young ladies to into these rings. And, and, and I mean,
1: do you, do you remember at first, what was that like? I mean, do, were you when people start to share their stories, I mean, is it done in a way of that? They're kind of bragging about it. Is it just done kind of matter of fact or
2: some are, some are bragging, some are matter of fact. I and mean, there are a lot of people that brag about their crimes well, as it's some type of badge of honor, yeah. which is it disgusts me quite honestly. Yeah. This, this was no different. He wasn't so much bragging. It was just kind of a matter of fact. Well, this is what I did. This is my job. This is, you know, cause I tell him, you know, I used to practice medicine for a living. And yeah. so I would talk about that. I would talk about stories from the emergency room and, So I guess he was talking about stories from his job, which uh, was not a great job, I guess. Yeah. And you have you have kids. I mean, and so did that immediately strike a chord? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when I learned the the mechanisms, the methods that they used in order to to get these these people. It absolutely made me fear for my children and for everybody else's children. Okay. And I
1: mean, is this something that is, is it, is it
2: organized crime? Is it a, is it a gang or? It is organized crime. It's absolutely a type of organized crime because they have multiple facets of it. You have somebody who is doing, doing the recruiting you have. And then once they get the the kids, they take them to the next spot. And, and I'll have to say, it's not just kids. There's even young adults that are being brought into this, the trafficking as well. But this guy was specifically focusing more on the teenage, girl population. Okay, uh, But then they get them into, into the a spot where they then move them to other parts of the country and they're constantly moving them around. And so it is really a, an organized crime ring.
1: And I think that what's what's important is the assumption is that these people are preying on, I mean, on what? On, on people that are uh, mentally ill or that there are these big time abandonment issues or... But maybe lay out what you learned about how, how the process works for well, this recruiter.
2: The process is a it's very interesting and it seems very uh, benign when you think about it. And it's something that I think all of us or anybody who has social media does, uh-huh. but with completely different uh, intentions. So what he would do would he'd use social media like Facebook. And again, I'm going from 2016 when yeah. I was actually there with him, Facebook kick Snapchat, those were Instagram. Those are some of the big things that they, he would use and he would get, get into various schools and, and find what kids liked. And then once he would uh, be associated with that, he would start friending all these. So create a fake profile, right? Yeah, he had a fake profile of a teenager who okay. lived on the other side of the country. Okay. Somebody who wasn't local. And then he'd start to like the uh, posts of various people. So if it was people that were complaining about their parents. Mm. So if you had a young lady who was, oh, my mom is just so mean. She won't let me do this. He would like the post and then, or he would comment and say, I totally get you. I understand what you mean. And they would start, then he would start a friendship with various people. Yeah, and it seemed to be the people that were having issues with their parents. Okay, and because uh, he could find some common ground there,
1: so it almost becomes a numbers game, right? I mean, so I, I, I every now and again, I'll have people that will friend me on Facebook that I have no idea who they are, and, and they might have some I don't know, attractive picture of a a girl or a, or a guy, and they don't have a whole lot of friends at that point. And so after talking with you, I feel like. Is that what these people are doing? Creating the fake profile, then then trying to friend a lot of people, and then narrowing
2: it down almost like a funnel. It seems to be that's the case. And okay. he, he picks specific geographic areas because okay. he he lives in the area. I guess he was living in Modesto at the time, uh-huh. but he was focusing on on Placer County. Uh-huh. And so he he had this fake profile, and he he had a, a picture of some young looking guy that you know looks kind of like Justin Bieber. You're sure, and you know of course the girls get that like that. And so they'll start communicating and pretty soon they have a friendship that develops with them and then they start having feelings for them. And next thing you know, they will do anything they can for them. And then he continues down that path of, oh, guess what? I'm coming out to to meet you. I, I'm going to come out. Well, I have my dad has a business trip out to your city or uh, oh, we might be moving out there. I'm going to get a chance to meet you. Wow. And then they set that up. So the meetup happens. And then next thing you know, he's like, hey, I'm at this park and come over and meet me here. And they go over and they hop in the car and. Next thing you know, it's yeah, you know, it's not Justin Bieber. No, exactly. Right? <laughs>
0: they're
1: gone. Well, I think that the, there's so many red flags, but but like you say, what what was eye opening is that they're targeting people that don't necessarily have a good relationship with the parents. So it's not like mom saying, "Hey, my new Justin Bieber looking friend from New York is coming to Modesto because his dad happens to be in town for a conference." Right. Right. Because a parent could say, "Why on earth is he coming to Modesto? There is no <laughs> conference around here." Right. Yeah. Exactly.
2: And that's that's kind of the, I I think they keep it from their parents. Yeah. And I don't think that it's necessarily kids that have problems with their parents because I think every teenager has problems with their parents. Yeah. Every teenager hates their parents at some point in their life. Yeah. Even if they have the best relationships, they still are going to have issues where they're going to clash and there's going to be hurt times, hurt feelings. And, and it's just the opportunity of finding those times, especially if they vent on Facebook uh-huh. or some other social media outlet, and then he's sitting there in the background waiting for those things, like a little virus. And looking like, for him. Oh. I mean, looking for those, That's right? That's what he's looking for. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So then when you kind of lay out the
1: scenario of there at the park, and I think that's the part where a lot of parents want to say, well, my kid wouldn't ever do that. Or if my kid went there and all of a sudden saw a, a van pull up and some guy get out, I mean, they would they would be smart enough. But what did what did the person you spoke with tell you? How do they how do they do that? How do they get the people in the car?
2: they Totally believe it's that person that they know on Facebook. Okay, they think that they're there. And they're like, oh, come hop in the car. I'm waiting for you. Gotcha. And you know, a lot of times they'll they will set it up beforehand and say, you know, hey, let's uh, let's take off. Let's go away for the weekend. Let's run away. We'll scare our parents. They'll leave us alone after that. They'll be so scared. It's, we'll just show them. Uh-huh. And so it's completely planned. And these kids will be ready. And they'll come and they'll, they'll see them waiting. Oh, there's the car, and they hop in. And once they're in, they're done. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're getting, hopping into some, you know, black econo van that, had, you know, with curtains and stuff. It's not that's not the way that it's working.
1: OK. And then, I mean, how is that uh, at that point? Because you shared with me, he, he talked about ways that then once they had somebody in a car and it's kind of it's kind of scary to even talk about. But what happens? I mean, how do they. Well, do they,
2: do? they start out by injecting them with heroin, right? I mean, that was the part that would blew me away. Yeah, it it is scary because uh, once you are are addicted to heroin, yeah, it is very difficult to get away from that. And the withdrawal symptoms of heroin are are horrible. And through my career in emergency medicine, I have seen heroin withdrawal happen. Uh, many times, and the, the symptoms are horrible. And in fact, it's that's where the term "cold turkey" comes from—is when you're withdrawing from heroin because of what happens to your skin and the cold sweats you have. Develop severe abdominal pain, vomiting. Wow. It's uh, it's a horrible, horrible thing. And so, they can use that heroin addiction to control whether what, what the kids do. Because if they are not compliant with their demands, they withdraw the heroin, and then they go through this horrific uh, withdrawal symptom, wow. syndrome syndrome.
1: Okay. You talked about your career in emergency medicine. You were telling me that looking back now were there's times where you feel like you actually saw people in the ER that were involved in this
2: this sex trafficking ring? Absolutely. We I know for sure that we did one time because we caught one. Okay. Who just happened to be a young lady who came in and uh, things just didn't seem right she wouldn't look at she wouldn't look at me or the nurse uh-huh. she wouldn't answer her own questions in fact the guy that was with her was at answering questions about uh, when her last period was which that's not something that really anybody knows especially well mom might know that dad okay. doesn't know that it shouldn't know that yeah and Anyway, that that set up a red flag that maybe something was up and so the nurse was able to separate them and get information from her and find out that yeah, truly she had been taken and and anyway, she was somewhere from back east, I don't remember where she's from exactly now, it's been too many years, but she was reunited with her her family. But and then I think wow, how many others did I miss because I didn't recognize that, you know, this crackhead or you know, this heroin addict that's coming in because they got a big abscess on their arm and their leg. Maybe they're not just a heroin addict. Maybe they're actually a, a victim of sex trafficking, and and we look at and we as society in general look at, uh, at drug addicts as as nothing. And oh, this is your own problem. You right. started this. You caused your own problem. Just stop. And it's just, it's not that easy. And so I, I fear that maybe I've missed opportunities to intervene. Mm,
1: okay. How did, I mean, when that nurse or when that, when that guy was caught, I don't know, did he try to run? I mean, are these people kind of on high alert or do you remember with that situation? He,
2: no, he was actually just sitting in the exam room. Oh wow! Just hanging out, waiting for her to come back, and who came back was the police. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah. that was uh, that was uh, kind of easy to once to she kind of
1: identified that. Yes. Um So did he tell you more about you know in the in the world of Facebook or or Instagram? I mean, did a lot of that happen through Messenger or direct messaging? Or once they kind of locked him in, right?
2: Direct messaging is how they actually. Got the relationship going because okay. they, they would make their posts of likes and comments and whatnot, but then they would do the direct messaging and and that's how they developed the relationship. And they start grooming them. and They they he'd go for months with a, a specific okay. person, and uh, they would they would talk back and forth. And pretty soon uh, they have this relationship. And it's I guess very easy for teenagers to fall in love uh-huh. long distance. Yeah, because anybody you can be anybody on on a text message. You can. You can think that somebody is somebody they're completely not. Yeah. You read it the way you want to read it. Yeah. So, again, why it's not good to have important conversations through text messaging, because you can misinterpret the way that the intention is. But I think that happens with teenagers a lot. And they see what they want, and then they see somebody that loves them and cares about them and understands them, and they grab hold of that, especially if they have other issues issues. In life, which I think most teenagers probably do.
1: Yeah, do I mean? Do you have? Did you kind of come up with different thoughts about social media in general after hearing this?
2: Well, in my my first thought was, I hope my daughter never has uh, Facebook or never never has a smartphone. Yeah, but. You know, it's important for. I think it's important for parents to regulate that. Yeah, I think it's super important that parents are un, are aware of what their kids are doing online, who their friends are, and just to keep tabs on them. It's easy to say, just don't give them a phone, right? But at the same that,
1: time, I mean, that, well, as I say, that actually almost then plays into the when you talk about the phrase of grooming, if these kids are being groomed. So now have a parent that is basically trying to restrict access to this appendage that they think is essential for their survival. And now you've got a, a teen who thinks my parent doesn't get it. So I think that's kind of the tricky area that we're we're in now.
2: It is it is tricky, and, and there's such a stigma with uh, technology and youth today. Yeah. So if you don't let your kid have a phone, they're going to be ostracized more by their peers yeah. than anybody else. So I think that every parent is going to allow them to have that. The, the issue is now that once you have given them access to everything, yeah, that you have to have that hard conversation yes. with them. And you have to let them know, look, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. And you know, they're they're na they might be naive, but that has to go away. Yeah. You know, they they have access to every misconception, every point of view, whether you agree with it or not, it's gonna be there and they're gonna have access to that. And so you've gotta talk to them. You know, I mean, it's. I think I, I compare that back to like having the, the the birds and the bees talk with your kids. You know, yeah. it's one of those things you like just want to get it done, and get it over with. And okay, yeah. check that box. Right. I don't have to deal with. Well, you still got to deal with this because that's something that you need to. It's beyond going. It has. Yeah. So that,
1: yeah. Now we're kind of in the, in my therapist wheelhouse here, right? So I do feel like a lot of when I talk to teenagers in particular about that, and you know, the birds and the bees talk. That a lot of times here's the one that I always hear is maybe a teenage boy will say, if I'll say, "Did you ever have that talk?" And it's like, "My dad, yeah, he asked me." So do you know like all the stuff about you know? And he'll say, "Yo, yeah, dad." And then the dad will say good talk, son. Right. Ever. And then you like say checkbox. So, I mean, this, I, this is exactly the reason I feel like, like you say, it has to be an ongoing conversation. I remember uh, meeting with someone who they had told me, no, their parents had never had the talk, had an opportunity to have the parent in a session. And, uh, and then the parent says, don't you remember, we talked about this and it was, well, yeah, that was when we were eight, you know, now this guy's 16. He barely remembers that at all. And things have changed from the I don't know if it was a stork talk or whatever it was, but so, but so I, I, I do feel like, um, I'm glad you said that, that I think as parents, we want to say, Hey, you can have a phone when you're 21. You know, that would be ideal. Right. Right. But but there is going in. I don't think that a kid needs a smartphone at nine or anything like that either. But then when they are given this technology, it is your job as a parent to 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 look at the phone, to put measures in place, to track a phone, to you have the absolute right to go through the phone whenever you want. You have you can set boundaries. You can if kids are doing things that they shouldn't on the phone, you can take the phone. I mean, those are all those things where I feel like. uh once the kid has it, they feel like now, now i now I'm entitled. Right. Yeah. And well, that's, I think the problem with America in general
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: kids these days, entitlement, right? Entitlement. Yeah. But, but then in the same breath, I have to say this because this has been um, something I've said on so many of my podcasts I do want to acknowledge, though, that and I don't use a lot of all or nothing statements, but I feel like pretty much every teenager in the entire world I've ever spoken with says that every parent has said, you can come and talk to me about anything. And then when they come say, hey, I wrecked the car, I got bad grades, I I smoke pot or whatever, the parent freaks out. And now the kid is realizes, OK, I can't be that honest. Yeah. And so I feel like the same
2: thing comes into play here so I mean it does yeah. I, I think it does and we I mean we recognize as parents that we are fallible we're going to yeah. make mistakes we're going to have things that make us angry that our kids do but we have to have that open communication and if we do blow up at them we have to make sure that we tell them okay I made a mistake yeah. I'm sorry I'm yeah. sorry I I it just I've had time to process this yeah let's talk about it you know I I apologize because if they and, and to show them unconditional love if you yeah. can show them love and you can show them that you're there and then you can admit when you make a mistake, then I think that they're going to be more willing to talk. And, uh, yeah, you know, A really good friend of mine has the the mantra of talk, talk early, talk often. Oh, I like that. And it's one of those things that I think you really have to do. You start out early and you talk about it. And I, she was talking to her, her eight-year-old, her nine-year-old daughter about sex trafficking okay. and about heroin. And and she, her daughter actually mentioned that during a, a family activity they were having. And I so, said, wow, she knows a lot about it. And, but that's exactly what, what she does. She talks to them about this real real world stuff. Yeah. You just can't gloss it over because, you know, they have access to the real world. And yeah. The real I want world my kid bad. coming and saying, uh, hey, I got this friend in New York who looks like
1: Justin Bieber and he's kind of saying some weird stuff. I mean, I want I want my kids saying that to me. Yeah. Not just like, uh, you know, I'm, I, I can't tell my parents because they'll you know, they'll freak out on me or say that's some 60 year old man in his underwear in some basement kind of a thing. Right? Exactly. Even if it is. But I want to
2: I would rather have my my kid come talk to me about that. That's that's the exact time you want them to come talk to you, <laughs> right? Especially when it is, or if it's a thirty-five-year-old guy or forty-year-old guy, or yeah. if it's not the person they say they are, there's something wrong. Yeah, the, the purpose is nefarious if yeah. they have a fake profile and they're pretending to be somebody else. It's not to be your friend.
1: And I realize that, uh, you know, I'm I'm an an eternal optimist, Leonard. So, I mean, this is, you know, I'm the guy that when somebody is saying everything is going to heck in a handbasket in the world, you know, it's like, okay that that's not real exciting news to hear when we want to kind of go about and try to create good and that sort of thing. But I do feel like in this arena, we really do have to be aware. And my train of thought goes to an interview I did a while ago with a guy who was talking about, you know, he was in some of these chat sites and he said, I start noticing that the same picture of a guy starts popping up for multiple people and he finally stopped uh, the person on this particular site and said, Hey, why do you look like all these other people? And then the person kind of cued him in on, oh, there's some sites and things you can go to, to mask your identity as well. And then this is even on a, and I don't understand how this works, but it's on a, it's on like a video chat site. So, I mean, you're, I don't know. I don't know if they have like a little hole in the mouth and they're talking like, you know, I, one of the late night shows did where, you know, cause I, I cause quite frankly, I didn't want to go do a deep dive to figure out how that worked. But I mean, I was, I was blown away that, that, and I guess my apologies to all the 45 year old men who do sit in the basement, um, not doing bad things, but you know, for that person that they can mimic or look like Fabio, which is probably a dated reference.
2: Exactly. exactly. Well, Fabio is a little, maybe a little dated, but okay. uh, but, but, uh, but you're, you're right. The there, yeah. point is is well taken. That's yeah. true.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I, I think that was the we we really do have to kind of be hyper aware. And if it is with regard to safety of our own kids, I think it's fine to just not feel like we have to believe everything. We can go in there a little bit cynical.
2: Right. Oh, well, we, we a lot you cynical. have to be. Yeah. You have to be cynical. You have to be wary that you know things could not be right. If you go in with, with the idea that, oh, it's no big deal, everything's fine, and, and you don't make take any action, well, what good is that? It's, it's the same.
1: Yeah, yeah. So other other kind of thoughts that when, you know, because you had time to interact with this person, you know, I, I'm sure that you've done a lot of uh, thinking around this industry in general. Other things that you wanted to share? <sighs>
2: Well, I I think that I, I have done a lot of thinking and I spend a lot of time thinking while I was I was locked up. Yeah. And I think the biggest things that that I've come the, the conclusions that I've come to are, are that we have to be extra vigilant, we have to be hyper vigilant in protecting our kids. We have to realize that it can happen to them. That this isn't just something that we hear about on the news, that it's very real. And in in areas, especially where you have major freeways that run through, you know, we're I 80 yeah. is a big deal because it runs from coast to coast. So every major, every city that sits along I 80 is a big uh, hub for trafficking. The ones that run north to south, like I 5 or 25, they are big places that you can pick people up. And since we live in one of those places, it's something that we have to be very, very aware of. And I want to make sure that, you know, my kids understand. Two of my kids are adults now, they're grown, but I want them to understand. That it still is a possibility, and they still go after adults, young adults. You know, they don't just go after the the foster kids and the, yeah. the kids who uh, have issues. They go after everybody. But there's one thing that I that I, I kind of recognized was I read a journal article at one point about how people's perceptions of things are completely different. Okay, and uh, for example a parent may say oh we had the best family vacation in you know 1996 and you're sitting in a family reunion and half the kids will say that was the worst vacation we ever had yeah and the parents think it was great the kids think it was horrible but they were on the same vacation they had different perception of what yeah was real and, and and what had come out of this article was that reality isn't real yeah and the perceptions of Of people, so if a parent may think that everything is great with their kids, oh, we have the best relationship, and we talk, and everything's fine, I have nothing to worry about. That's not the case. Hmm. And one of the I saw another article. It was I think it was in I can't remember. It was some type of science magazine, but it talks about why how our perception of reality differs when we look at a specific thing, for example. You and I can sit on the beach and watch the sunset, and we're seeing two different things yeah. actually. And for example, if you are looking at a glass, if you picture a, a wine glass that's full of sparkling water mm. and ice, what do you see? You know, you see the glass, you see the ice floating, you see the bubbles coming up. Well, carbon dioxide's invisible, water is invisible, ice is <laughs> invisible, and glass is invisible, so why can you see it? You know, the issue has to do with light. As light passes through and bends and refracts, uh. It, it slows down, speeds up, and changes, and, and when it hits your retina, and your brain makes a picture. Okay. Well, the picture that I'm seeing is different than the picture you're seeing because the light that hit my eye is different wow. than the light that hits your eye, and okay. you can't possibly ever see the light that hit my eye. Yeah. So we can see the same thing, but we're going to see it different. You're going to see bubbles that I don't see. You're going to see ice that I don't see. Wow. But you're seeing something that technically you shouldn't be able to see at all. Okay. And so, but it's the way your brain processes and perceives things. And so, as, as if we apply that to the way that we have relationships with other people, especially with our children, we see it one way when they see it completely different. Yeah. And so, we, they, I think you've mentioned before that they control the information flow. Yeah. If you have the information, you control how much you give and who you give it to. Yeah. And as parents, we, all we have is what they're willing to give us. So if we make them feel safe, if we make them comfortable in talking to us and knowing that we're really on their side, I think they will share more information, which will help us see things in a completely different perspective.
1: That's that's brilliant, though. So, I mean, we may still not ever see the light reflecting and it hitting our retina the same way as them,
2: but we can get it pretty close. Right. Okay. We can both see that there's a glass of water, sparkling water sitting there. It might not be exactly the same, but at least we know we're looking at the same glass.
1: Yeah. Yeah there's the the cliche in my business i'm going to borrow that by the way i'm going to use the heck out of that example now that that i love that but that perception is reality so i mean and and i used to just That was so cliche, but it is so true and that you could have uh, three kids and every one of them is going to view their childhood completely different, right? Whether it is birth order, whether it's things that they went through, whether it's things they saw on TV or friends that they had or, or whatever that is. So, I like what you say, though, about as parents, sometimes too, we don't want to think that we don't have a good relationship with our kids or we don't want to think that they're going to perceive situations as negative. So, we're going to create a pretty positive narrative in our head as well, right? So, we may only look at the
2: well we 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 had a good time at dinner the other night so i think we're good right yeah yeah that's i had a marriage like that once where if it if there wasn't yelling it was a good day and Uh, you know that that's not that's not good it can't work that way There has to be so much more to it than just oh great we got through dinner without fighting tonight right that doesn't that it's not good enough yeah when especially when it comes to this type of well not just this but anything any significant issue you want to talk about whether it's college or or sex or trafficking or anything else you have to have that relationship and that it, you can really get into it and talk and share feelings and emotion and yeah I, that's my opinion i am not a professional when it comes to that but it yeah, you know, might as a
1: professional i will endorse that <laughs> Leonard. i think that is very good hey i have to ask you just while you're here i mean so that that two years i mean that you were there and and just literally thinking that you were going down to the police station for what half an hour or something that you'd be back yeah. that day and and obviously you're you're coming out of that and you're here to share this message, and that is going to help so many people and and I'm so grateful for that I mean were there other ways that you kind of and i, I feel I feel like I'm about to say cliche, but how, you know how did you make the the best use of your time in those two years in jail?
2: well, uh, in the beginning is shock, and you're trying just to figure out what in the world is going on. Yeah. You're trying to keep yourself safe because it's not the safest place. Yeah. Um, but over time, once I finally kind of got established and people realized that they couldn't take advantage of me, uh-huh. I uh, was able to then start focusing on reading. I, I read a lot. I read, uh, read the scriptures a lot. Yeah. I, I put a lot of effort into that. They had uh, Like multiple times, right? Multiple times, yep. I read, I read through the scriptures multiple, multiple times and you know they had a chaplain that came in every week and they do a bible study and then I ran a bible study every night with wow. the the inmates and yeah it, it put my focus on trying to keep hope okay. because i if you don't have hope you have nothing wow. and the purpose of being incarcerated is to break you down and especially in the the pre-trial phase they want to break you to so that you do what they want you to do. Wow. And it's it's not pleasant. To, you know, we won't go into all that right now in this podcast. Right, but right. I'm but sure but we yeah, can.
1: no, we will. I want to kind of go into that at some point in the future. But I think that I just been so impressed with when I was when I would reach out to you, you were. You were, you embraced mindfulness, which was, I mean, right. Kind of really had to get control of your thoughts or change your
2: relationship with thought. Absolutely. That was, that was a super important part was, you know, you had introduced me to headspace early on. And so I, I used what I could remember. I I didn't have all of the components of it, but I used what I could to try and clear my mind to, so I wouldn't be so, well, just scared. I mean, your, your brain going a hundred different ways and a hundred miles an hour and, and you just you don't know what to expect and there's the only thing that's consistent is the schedule you don't know about anything else wow. that that is going to happen and especially when you know that you're innocent and you're fighting and yeah. you just seem to be making no headway and nobody cares and then you would get a little glimpse of okay
1: we found this out and but then it's like that that wouldn't lead to
2: anything it wouldn't lead right? to anything it would lead to uh <sighs> ah, we're going to disregard that or we're going to hide that you know i mean the da was able to hide evidence right. They were able to do things that this really impacted my ability to defend myself.
1: Yeah. So, and I just have to say, before we get away from the scriptures, I, what, what I still have stuck on is there's all those little, if you depending on what kind of uh, scriptures you have there, are all those little cross references, you know, at the bottom. And I, st- I cannot get over the fact that you, you
2: actually then followed like every one of those, right? I did. <laughs> yep. I did. After eight or nine times of reading through the scriptures, I, I then started just referencing the, each of the yeah. footnotes and, uh, it gave me a whole different perspective on the scriptures. Yeah. And I, I saw things in a completely different light, understood things that I hadn't comp- contemplated before. And yeah. So that was that was really yeah.
1: uh, eye-opening and, and a good yeah. experience for me. And then the other thing is you you practiced medicine for a long time. I think I joked with you one time, like, tell me that you have a nickname and and you had it. I mean, it was the one that, of course, I had, you
2: know, it was? It was. They called me Doc. Yes. Right, which right. was funny. And, and the only reason that ever started was because the first day I got there, there was an inmate that was... That was uh, I had seen as a patient at at the hospital, and he goes, "Hey, you're the doctor that saw me." (laughs) And I was like, "Oh no, I'm being recognized right off the Uh, bat." And of course, anything about everybody spreads like wildfire in there, and so next thing you know, so
1: people come up and ask you medical questions all all the the
2: time, time, all the time, yeah. And uh, yeah, medicine and you know, the medicine there was horrible as far as uh, Uh. the the practicing. So yes, I got a lot of questions, and then I also got threatened with. uh, being charged with practicing without a license, because, really? Uh, yes, because I, I was giving people advice. Well, advice to take to uh, to the uh, doctors there. Wow, and uh, they. It got back to them that it was me. and So you were helping me. You were an advocate. Uh, I was an advocate that, yes, ended up almost getting myself more
1: charges. So. Wow. Oh, that's that's wild. And I just, I have to say as well, I would always kind of ask you, all right, where are you at with your push-ups and your pull-ups? I mean, those were things that you were not a, a huge push-up pull-up guy
2: going in, right? I was not. I, I didn't really work out a whole lot before I went in. Yeah. And I... Would start doing pushups because there's nothing else to do, and by the end I was doing 1,700 pushups a day, a day, and then I do a couple hundred pull ups a day. Oh gosh! And yeah, it actually it was good. I I mean, it was good physical exercise, and you see a lot of inmates that do that. There's nothing else to do but work out. You know, we don't have jobs. There's nothing. We're just locked up
1: yeah so i mean that's the part where i just i i'm i'm grateful that you did those things to keep your mind sharp right so whether it was the mindfulness it was the spiritual growth it was the physical exercise it was the service of others i mean when you right. kind of lay all
2: those things out right And that's, and that's been the focus of my life is to try and serve others. And it still is even more so now. Well, the hard
1: part is, and I know this wasn't where we were headed with this podcast, but the hard part is, yeah, you had to, you had to take a deal that is not allowing you to do the things that you love. Right. And, and so it's, you're grateful to be out and spread this message, but it's, it's difficult,
2: right? It is difficult. My life is not the same as it used to be. It's completely different and I'm learning to live a different life. I, when I came out, I thought I had lost everything. Yeah. But I realized that I haven't lost everything. I've actually gained more and and these friends that I've developed have been wonderful. You find out who your friends really are during this time like that. Yeah. And the ones who are there have been there for me and continue to be there for me. And uh, I am greatly appreciative of everybody that has supported me. Yeah.
1: So any any other thoughts? I mean, that's, I'm sorry if that wasn't where you were wanting to go at the end, but I was so impressed with the way you, 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 kept yourself together during that time that I think that there's some, there's a pretty powerful message there that when you're in this place that you don't, you shouldn't be, and you don't even know where the finish line is to be able to kind of stay present and and help others. And I mean, that's, that's big. Speaks a lot to your character.
2: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I found that was the only way to survive that. Yeah. That was the way to survive. If I didn't have the people that were supporting me, if I didn't have those things, I don't know how I would have made it yeah. through. You, you kind of go crazy after a little while. But, but it also shows that you can survive in any situation. Yeah. Anybody has the ability. I didn't think I would be one that would survive something like that. You're just, that you're just a nice, mellow, kind guy. And all of a sudden that's,
1: and then you're, yeah, and you go in and then all of a sudden you're off to prison. I can't imagine what the thoughts were at first. Again, but it was probably six days. Can I just, I can just make it through this. And then. Right. Yeah. That's, that was
2: the thought. And, and then, man, then when it didn't. Yeah, it was difficult, but it was doable, and I think I'm stronger yeah. for it. I think Literally and, better uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, <laughs> and... Yeah, physically and and mentally and spiritually and everything else. Yeah, and
1: I'm grateful for you sharing this message. I, I, all right, I've got to end with a little bit of a uh, little, little lighthearted. Is that okay? Absolutely. Prison food. I mean, anything good out of there? Honestly.
2: No, there really <laughs> was not anything. It was some of the most horrible food I've ever eaten. You were saying it's uh, yeah. was it soy-based? It was Is all it- soy-based. Yeah, they didn't... they, they for whatever reason, they like the soy base. Maybe it's the phytoestrogens that are in it to help keep us subdued, make us turn us all into females or something. Okay. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. There's nothing that was good. Sometimes you get a friend who would send you commissary, and then you'd have some snacks. But aside from that, the food they gave was horrible. Okay.
1: Uh, I wanted to hear that there was. Oh, but the brownie Sunday. But there was nothing. Yeah. No. There's nothing. Okay. There was no. They gave us cookie. Even the cookies they gave us were horrible. Were they? What was the first thing you ate when you got out? Actually, your stomach was probably not really ready.
2: It wasn't really ready. I went to uh, Red Robin, actually, the night that I got out, and I had a hamburger. And uh, yeah, my stomach was not ready for Oh, that. did you pay for that? <laughs> it wasn't horrible, but I it definitely was not pleasant either. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Leonard, thanks so much for coming in. Absolutely. Um, I,
1: I appreciate you sharing this message, and hopefully parents are going to hear from this that this isn't a doom and gloom scare tactic. It's a, Hey, this is happening and be aware. And if
2: anything, let's uh, bump up our communication with our teenagers. Exactly. That's absolutely the thing that I wanted everybody to see is it's real. It can happen to you, but you can prevent it. Do it.
1: Yeah. So everybody listening, please spread the spread this podcast around. This is one of those things that we want to get the word out so that people know. All right. Hey, thanks for your time. Thank you so much.